Hi, it's Shana here. Before this episode starts, I'm popping in with a quick reminder about our upcoming CEU on Thursday, May 16th on a person-centered approach to behavior management. School taught us a lot about ABA. However, the thing with ABA is that it's a science and it's constantly evolving. So a lot of what we learned back then doesn't always apply now. Today, we want to use a person-centered approach to behavior management, um, but what does that look like and how can our learners still make progress in this kind of approach? So join us live on Thursday, May 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time as Shira discusses how to use a person-centered approach to behavior management with your learners. This CEU is presented by our very own Shira Karpel. You can earn one learning CEU for ACE, QABA, or IBAO. Join us live at this event or to watch the recording asynchronously, go to howtoaba.com forward slash CEU. See you then. Hi, I'm Shira Karpow. And I'm Shana Gaunt, and we're board certified behavior analysts. At How To ABA, we provide practical resources, community, and support to ABA professionals. In each episode of our podcast, we will be having real conversations with real people sharing real stories about ABA. We'll share relevant strategies and actionable tips that will make us all better ABA practitioners. It's the ABA content you need that you're not going to learn in a textbook. Play is a skill that a lot of our learners need to be taught. It doesn't come as naturally to kids with autism or other developmental delays. So when teaching play skills, what is the best way to help our learners develop these play skills more naturally? So when my son was little, he had such a hard time with unstructured play. And I remember taking a picture of him when he was about two and a half because I was shocked that on his own, he built a train set and we had that train set for a while and he never played with it. And I remember being so surprised that he was able to like take a toy and play with it. And now I realize why some kids just don't play. They don't like playing. They don't like the unstructured play. And, you know, he was that kind of kid. He wasn't just going to like take toys and start to like know what to do with them. So we're going to talk about how we can teach play to the kids that we work with. So teaching play skills is critical to success, especially when you have a young learner who is in a daycare setting and the daycare is open-ended play most of the day. And play skills is a huge topic. There are so many ways that we could talk about play. Now, play is really important for young kids because one, it's how they learn a lot of things. A lot of preschool classes and daycares are play-based. So they learn through play and there's also a lot of open-ended unstructured play time during their day. So one huge area of play is really just engaging with toys, knowing what to do, how to play with the toys, how to entertain yourself so that you're not, you know, getting into trouble or things that you shouldn't get into. Um, that's one area of play. Another main area of play is playing with peers, interactive play, social play. And that's another really important thing to tackle. Um, and then just knowing what to do with toys, like what is an appropriate way to play with toys and being creative with toys, and then learning how to do things like imitate through play and interact through play. So where do we start? It is 
such a huge topic, like Shira just mentioned, where do we start? Um, I think really what we need to do, first of all, is look at what's developmentally appropriate. So if you're looking at play in general, and you know, you really want to teach interactive play, um, you know, if you look at, you know, any other kids, you know, kids typically don't play interactively with other peers until about the age of about three and a half. So trying to teach a two-year-old how to play interactively with peers is not developmentally appropriate. However, if you have a two-year-old and that two-year-old isn't even allowing adults in their space to even just model how to play with toys, then that's a good skill to teach. So the first thing that you could work on with a very early learner is allowing an adult in their space. And the idea with that is that you really need to be fun. And sometimes we make the mistake of like, I'm going to decide what's fun and I'm going to choose the toy and they're going to have to play with it. But look at what they think is fun. Look at what the the child is is engaging with and then make it more fun with you. So if they really like cars, you're going to get in there and play cars the way that they're playing with cars. And the reason is, is that you want to be fun. You want to be engaging because you're, the next step that you want to do is get them to want to do what you do. If you can get them to imitate you through play, and if they think you're really fun with the cars and they like how you throw it in the air or put it down the ramp and they can learn to imitate that, Well, imitation is one of the biggest play skills that we could teach because if they could generalize imitation, they could imitate their peers, they could imitate their teachers, they can learn through imitation, they're going to be able to learn so many more skills that way. And that's one of the reasons play is so important is to be able to teach all those other skills within play. So starting with the adult play, getting in their space, getting them to copy you and to think that you're really fun. Also think no demand at the beginning. You know, sometimes the reason people are shying away from adults is because they have a history of adults putting demands on them all the time. So when you start that beginner play, really like Shira said, take something that they already like and make it fun. Even if it's just balls dropping, throw balls up in the air and let them drop. Maybe try and catch them in a bucket or maybe that's too complex. Um, don't, don't ask them any questions. Don't ask them to do much. Really, your only ask is that they stay there with you and they're having fun. Uh, The other thing is, is don't drag play on for too long. If you've got a kid who isn't even interacting with you, then, you know, maybe your goal is just playing interactively with an adult for 10 seconds, 20 seconds. They allow an adult in their space for even just half a minute. Um, And that's all at the beginning. And then you can systematically increase that. So that's one way to start with play is with the adult working on imitation. And that's a great place to start. The next place to go is remember those kids in the classroom who don't know what to do with themselves during unstructured time. Well, they need to know how to how to entertain themselves, how to be engaged. And so a great place to start with that is with closed ended play activities. We want to teach our kids how to use the toys. And we want to start with closed ended things like puzzles, shape sorters, ring stackers, things that have a clear beginning and end, because those are going to put a lot of structure into play. Remember, play is very ambiguous. It's very informal. It's very open-ended. So we want to start with very closed-ended activities so that they know what the expectation is. It's very clear and they know when it's done. And that is a great way to teach them how to start engaging with the toys in their environment. Then we can look at open-ended play activities and open-ended play activities may be only a few seconds long, and then you can expand that. Um, But open-ended play activities would be things like playing with cars, playing with trains, playing with dolls, playing with basically anything that doesn't have a formal ending to it. You know, it could be, you know, just doing one 
one thing with one activity, or it could be doing a sequence of events with a whole bunch of different activities. Um, so I think the first step when you're teaching open-ended play is really looking to see where your child is at at the beginning, right? So, you know, how are they playing right now? So for instance, take a car ramp. Um, you know, if they're, if they like cars, first of all, don't force them to play with a car ramp if they don't like cars. Um, but if they like cars and you've got a car ramp, how are they playing with that? Are they, you know, just putting the car down the car ramp and that's it? Or are they just flipping over the car and looking at the wheels and that's it? Um, you really want to expand on that and build in some sequences. So not only can they put the car down the ramp, but they can also drive it up the ramp. They can put the car in the elevator. Or they can check out the different levels of the parking garage. Maybe they can get the gas, you know, fill up the car with gas, take it through a car wash, um, depending what's in that car ramp. Um, so those are all different things as you really want to look at how you can expand play activities through sequences um, for open-ended play. So for some kids, it's enough to be teaching them sequences of activities through just, you know, putting a timer to open-ended play. And they're able to understand, well, as long as the timer is going, then I need to be on task for this activity. And that's fine. Some kids need it really broken down and taught how to play with that open-ended activity. And that's where something like play scripts comes in, where you can structure that open-ended play because... Like I said, a lot of our kids structure with open-ended activities. And so giving them a play script means that you're structuring that activity for them. It doesn't mean that it, they can only do it in this sequence or it has to be this rigid. But what the research tells us is that by kids learning different sequences of play, they're able to then generalize novel play within those sequences. So that means that if you teach a play script of the baby and then you teach a play script of a tea party and then you teach a play script of a car ramp, and you keep teaching, you know, four or five, six different play scripts sequentially, they start to then mix them up. So the student is then able to generalize novel play using those materials that they've learned through the play scripts. My favorite way to teach open-ended play is really just getting down on the floor and playing with a child, modeling, lots and lots of modeling, but that doesn't work for every child. So like Shira said, you know, we do create some play scripts sometimes, um, and we can, you know, go through those play scripts, record those play scripts into video models and have the student watch those video models and then do that play script or have the therapist just go through that play script in the same order each time. Um, sometimes play scripts are more beneficial for the therapist than they are for the student, right? Um, some therapists uh, haven't played in years and don't know how to play anymore. So, you know, just having some type of like, hey, here's some activities that you can do with a car ramp, or here's some activities you can do with the doll or the toy kitchen is really beneficial for that therapist. So, as much as play scripts can be a little bit rigid, um, you really do need them sometimes when kids aren't picking up from just that national environment play. We've actually created a bunch of play scripts um, and we've got some in our membership that um, our members can access. Um, but we also have probably, what is it, Shira, like over 30 play scripts now um, with task analyses to go with those play scripts. And they're just on our main website. So howtoaba.com um, forward slash shop. You can get them all there. Um, and it's awesome because I've given these play scripts to therapists, like I said, and therapists go, oh, whew. Thank you. Now I've got some ideas. Now I know what to do with this doll or this train. And there's a couple ways to teach those play scripts. On um, what Shane is referring to, we have task analyses, and that means that you could break down 
What does playing with a doll mean? What are all those steps? And then put it into a task analysis and, you know, forward chain or backward chain or teach it however is going to be appropriate. You can also create a video model. So you can either you be the one to act out that play script or have a peer or a sibling um, create a video model of them playing with that activity in those steps and then have that student watch that video and imitate that from the video model. And what's really nice about that is that you're getting in the imitation, which is huge. You're teaching them to copy another person in play and you're getting in the play. So those are two amazing skills that if we could teach our kids the imitation and the play, they'd be so successful in their other settings. And what's so cool about teaching kids play scripts is that not only us, not only we've seen it, but uh, the research out there has shown that the more play scripts that you can teach kids, the more generative their language and their play skills become. And what does that mean? It means that you may be able to teach them one play script and they're only able to do it in that one rigid way, which isn't so cool. Um, But if you teach five or six different play scripts surrounding one activity, all of a sudden those play things bleed into each other. Kids stop doing them in a particular order. They start doing them, you know, more in more novel ways. You know, they take a couple lines that they've been taught in one play script and put it into another play script. And that is so cool because all of a sudden kids are now playing with a toy, not in the particular steps that you've taught them, but in the way that they want to play with the toy. And then once they've become comfortable with playing with some of these toys through the play scripts, you can switch it up, use different toys, different dolls, different different cars, whatever it is, so that they're starting to generalize that play. Um, do it in different places. So if they're learning to play in one place, you could do it in another place, thinking about that generalization so that they're starting to generate novel play using those sequences. And also start to incorporate peers. Now, when it's developmentally appropriate, that social play is important to start to incorporate. Um, it often starts with just parallel play. So if they've learned to play with the car ramp, let them play with the car ramp beside a peer. And if they're old enough to start with the interactive play and some pretend play, then start incorporating a peer and get them to do that with, with a friend. So they can both put the car down the car ramp at the same time, or they could share the car, or they could do pretend play with a friend. There's so many different places that it could go and however you're defining play for the student. We have a CEU webinar that's coming up in June. For those of you who are listening after June, uh, it lives on our membership site and it's all about play, teaching play, types of play, how to teach it, all of that, how to take data on play. Um, and that's coming up in June. Or if you're watching it after that, it's living on our membership. So that's really cool. Um, we also have a blog about video modeling and, um, you know, we've written a whole blog about video modeling and how to teach the video modeling. Um, and that's just on our main web page as well. Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate and review so others can find out about us too. For more from How to ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com and make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.